Hello, my name is David Toman and I welcome you to the next episode of European Values Perspectives, where we invite experts from uh, security and foreign policy fields. My special guests today are Dr. Ichung Lai and Professor Tomonori Yoshizaki. Dr. Ichung Lai is the president of the Prospect Foundation, a think tank based in Taiwan. In the past, uh, Dr. Lai uh, served, uh, for example, as a director general for Department of China Affairs in the Democratic Progressive Party, and he was also a special assistant for policy to Taiwan representative to Japan. Professor Tomonori Yoshizaki is a professor of Tokyo University of Foreign Studies. He gives lectures on Japan's national security policy, alliance management, and peace operations. Prior to that, he had worked for the National Institute for Defense Studies, NIDS, for 36 years. Gentlemen, welcome and thank you for being here. Yeah, thanks for inviting us. Thank you very much for having me. Last June in Madrid, the heads of state and government of the NATO allies adopted a new strategic concept that identifies the alliance's future goals and ambitions. The document reflects, among other things, on NATO's relationship towards the Indo-Pacific. To be specific, the concept includes a paragraph that states that the Indo-Pacific is important for NATO given that developments in that region can directly affect Euro-Atlantic security. End of the quote. So my first question is, how exactly can the developments in the Indo-Pacific affect Euro-Atlantic security? Ichung, may I ask you to start? Yeah, I believe that uh, the year 2022, last year, about the NATO strategic concept, that's for the first time that NATO started to pay attention to the Indo-Pacific. And also, I believe it is the, because of the war in Ukraine and the China-Russia uh, alliances, in my view, that started to crystallize about the idea that uh, the security uh, on the both ends of the Euro-Asia uh, Euro continent that cannot be separated. So that the Indo-Pacific theater, that basically that's a maritime, and the, the, uh, on the west side of the Euro-Asia uh, Euro continent, that is on the uh, uh, Europe itself, as well as the United States, uh, the security situation uh, is very much linked. And so that we started to see that the, uh, the war in Ukraine, immediately people started to link uh, the security about the Taiwan with what uh, uh, did already develop in the Ukraine and fearing about uh, what Ukraine today will become the Taiwan tomorrow. And all the attention uh, right now paid to the Taiwan Strait security uh, is a natural flow about this understanding. So I think that uh, the, um, uh, the war in Ukraine basically uh, facilitate this understanding and the NATO concept is a natural uh, result of this. Mm. Thank you, Tom. Uh, okay, thank you. Uh, let me highlight the three different perspectives, strategic, theater, and tactical. Starting with the strategic level, the, there are the, the interconnectivity of the two th different theaters, European theater, I mean Ukraine, and also Indo-Pacific, focusing on more on Taiwan contingency uh, issues. And, uh, but 
This kind of connectivity is not totally new. Back in Korean War period, 1950s, when North Korea invaded South Korea, what happens? U.S. responded. Then NATO rearmed, Western Germany rearmed, and also SACU was provided. That means interconnectivity was the historical origin of NATO. Number two is the theater level. Okay, what matter would be Ukraine, Taiwan, or Okinawa issues cannot be separated from the rest of the members. That is the theater level impact. Then lastly, tactical. Tactical level, no initial aggression should not be tolerated. This is a unilateral change of status quo by force. The message is clear that no member of the UN should dare to swallow the um, the neighboring country by attacking first. That may be the lesson learned from the Ukraine and also our theater. Thank you. Ichung, um, uh, do you want to add anything to that or? No, I believe that uh, Professor Yoshizaki already summarized very well. Excellent. Yeah. So we can move to the next question. Uh, the concept uh, also includes a sentence that NATO will, uh, I quote, strengthen dialogue and cooperation with new and existing partners in the Indo-Pacific to tackle cross-regional challenges and shared security interests. Which are the most important NATO allies uh, in the region and which could be the new potential allies uh, given the fact that uh, ASEAN countries, for example, uh, try to not openly choose a side? I think the uh, <coughs> NATO itself, uh, since it's, uh, uh, in my view, uh, more or less like a democratic alliances, of course, some people will argue that whether the Turkey fit into this criteria. But um, I think more or less NATO is an alliance that for the democracy. And so that in the Indo-Pacific area, uh, the natural uh, partner definitely will first look for the uh, strong democracy in, East, uh, in the Indo-Pacific. Uh, Japan, definitely, uh, ROK, and also the Australia are the three that uh, the people were first identified. Uh, India is a little bit tricky cases, but uh, definitely India people also will look to. In my view, I, I hope that sometime the Taiwan will also be considered because we are democracy and um, although we are under the threat by China, but uh, we are also a capable democracy ourselves. Um, basically, I will say that <coughs> The NATO's uh, in, uh, engagement uh, with the Indo-Pacific theaters uh, could also introduce a new element uh, in, uh, in this, uh, for, for the security uh, here, especially we already uh, see some of the NATO member states, uh, they are having a greater military presence uh, in this uh, area. For example, year 2021, the UK sent an aircraft carrier, have a six-month voyage uh, in the Indo-Pacific, and the French already has its military presence uh, in this area. Uh, and also, we started to see that the, the Germany and the Canada, both of them, uh, they're uh, committed uh, to send up the, the more ships and the naval uh, assets, uh, whether that's going to be next year or the year after that, uh, as they uh, both defense ministers announced in the Shangri-La Dialogue. So that uh, the uh, increasing number of the NATO member states uh, having a military presence uh, for the operation working with the United States for the peace and also uh, the uh, 
freedom navigations, that also definitely will drive the uh, NATO itself uh, need to have a closer relationship with, with country in this area. So I think that's a very natural flow that the NATO will open its office uh, in Japan to facilitate and to coordinate all the security operation that the NATO will have uh, in this region. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Uh, Tom? Thank you. Well, AP4 is uh, quite a, um, the popular and the Japanese public. Number one, AP4 is uh, Australia, New Zealand, and the Korea and the Japan as a like-minded partners and the most trustworthy, pragmatic partners for NATO. And uh, we determined to move ahead. That means in case of uh, Japan, Australia, we have agreed on the Lesbosco Access Agreement, having a very, very pragmatic the sharing the information and having the facility and interest. This, these are very symbolic and meaningful. And also South Korea is a very um, the long-term partner. And uh, they are focusing on North Korea. But don't forget that North Korea has a ballistic missile which can range, which can hit Washington DC and possibly in your regions. In that sense, North Korean um, threat is real and should be shared by other partners of the NATO. And ASEAN country you mentioned used to be a uh, backlog about the nuclear things. And uh, their primary focus was so-called the nuclear free zone. Now it's gone. ASEAN countries may be sharing a more sense and uh, no nuclear form kind of tilt uh, is envisioned. And they would be like to be opened up. And the reality is the South China Sea, or China's they, they are growing interest and influences. So this is a kind of the sea changes of the argument. Then let me um, they make comment about our expectation to the NATO members in our region in the Pacific. The, one of the things I would like to think is that the expectation management not too big and not too small. Not too big is that, okay, NATO have uh, operations and uh, direct maneuver to deter China, that's wrong. And not too small, I mean, is that, okay, EU, NATO is beyond the horizon, no relation whatsoever. No, we have uh, challenges in uh, cyber, space, magnetics, and the multi-frontier beyond the horizon. Another one is the American commitment to the extended deterrence to NATO or hub and spoke US that alliances in our regions. These are the bottom line. What matters is the commitment and the credibility of deterrence. These are common concerns. In that sense, expectation management not too big but not to be small. That means to be pragmatic and look to the reality. That's my message. Thank you. Uh, again, Ichung, do you want to add anything to that? Um, probably I would just uh, say a little bit about the ASEAN. Um, that could be a little bit different from what the Professor Shizaki expected. Uh, in my view, I think ASEAN as a whole, probably we cannot expect that too much uh, from them. 
Uh, but uh, we do know that uh, some individual ASEAN member states, uh, they, they will be willing uh, to uh, work more uh, with some external powers such as NATO's. Uh, so we saw some sign in the Philippines and also the uh, Singapore already uh, has a certain cooperation with some NATO member states in increasing the Indo-Pacific uh, maritime awareness. Uh, so the uh, ASEAN, I think, uh, they are still in a position uh, trying to restructure themselves and try to get themselves back to shape. Uh, and, and until that time, that uh, uh, we can only expect a certain member state within ASEAN uh, to to be uh, on the uh, the path. Tom, mm-hmm. thank you very much for kind of uh, having a discussion on the table. Mm-hmm. This is the podcast, but uh, this is the virtual kind of discussion. And thank you very much for your reminder. You're absolutely right. ASEAN has a diversity as to uh, the, the level of the security cooperation, especially about the NATO or US nuclear things. There are the ups and downs and the pros and cons about that level of the cooperation. You're right. Uh, they have uh, diversity and uh, security management. Okay, we have briefly touched upon it, but uh, following up on the previous question uh, and uh, the uh, quote from the concept, uh, what are the cross-regional challenges and shared security interests that the concept refers to? I think the the concept itself Uh, there were the debates whether the, the NATO would like to um, have more substantial uh, elements uh, about Indo-Pacific, especially about China. But I think the uh, uh, probably under uh, the intent discussions, the NATO decided to uh, uh, lower uh, the kind of expectation, and that's that is what we have today. But of course, uh, during the course of actions, what we witness is by the the uh, Euro- uh, European Union. And earlier, when they have the the so-called the Trinity of the policy toward China, right now the Trinity probably no longer holds, and uh, they are uh, shifting toward more. Uh, uh, the competition and the uh, uh, rivalry part. And so that the uh, NATO, the strategic concept, I would say that um, uh, especially with the, the office opening in, in Japan, uh, which uh, to a certain extent, technically, although not defying the NATO's uh, the, uh, graphic, uh, geographical uh, constraints, but it did open up the NATO's engagement and uh, further cooperation with the country outside of their traditional areas, uh, which I believe that um, uh, especially with the cyber and also uh, with the, the uh, realm that's uh, generally uh, not covered by the traditional ge- geography such as the space and also to a certain extent even the uh, Uh, the underwaters, uh, that uh, NATO strategic concept will continue to evolve through the actions uh, rather than the concept itself will define uh, its scope of the actions. So in my view, I think the, uh, the French President Macron, uh, the, his uh, statement, although we respected uh, what he wanted to say, but uh, sometimes the, uh, the development of the actions uh, would defy what the uh, leaders, uh, what they wanted to have. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Tom, what is your follow-up? Thank you. Well, EDT is short for the Emerging Destructive Technology, a common concern for the NATO members and Japan and uh, AP4, Asian Pacific members and partners. 
what is the the striking is that okay cyber or disinformations or strategic communication operations not only by Russia but also China and probably by North Korea so these are kind of across the region across the theater challenges including NATO members and um, the Czech, Czech Republic in that sense okay what will be the emerging destructive technology and disinformations um, the, I will talk a little bit about the, the Macron statement and uh, the opening up of the, the Japan office. And the Macron um, the, was cited by the Financial Times last day, day, two, two weeks back. And uh, it was a title that uh, he's against Japan's the office. But uh, what is discussed and agreed or explored is so-called liaison office, not the real office for the membership, no. And the liaison office beyond the members' states is, uh, well, about 10, so you have a lot. And also, uh, Macron uh, put it simply that uh, NATO should not expand its scope geographically uh, beyond European members and also not to be too active. This is very similar to the Chinese message. And uh, what we agreed with the NATO members is that, okay, we will have information sharing and we are not uh, aspiring for the mini NATO or NATO membership anymore, uh, not at all. And what we want is a more pragmatic and trustworthy. That means in order to counter the emerging destructive technology or uh, information warfare. So in that sense, true information and true sincere discussion like today is very important. They are set for us. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And uh, okay, so this uh, is uh, this nicely brings us to the next uh, question, uh, which is uh, uh, how would you describe the relationship between NATO and uh, Japan? Uh, we know that Japan won't be joining NATO for now. Um, so what kind of role uh, can Japan play? What is the potential? And what role will it play actually? So, of course, there's a difference between the potential and uh, uh, the fulfillment of that potential. And uh, uh, you can also uh, touch upon the role of Japan in the region in general. And uh, this time we will start with Tom. Thank you. Well, the key word or buzzword is like-mindedness. Mm-hmm. And it used to be a uh, strategic partner was a kind of buzzword. Now it's gone because NATO has the strategic partners across the globe, including China and possibly partnership with Russia. But uh, this mentality is all very old-fashioned. So we have no illusion about whatsoever about the collect, uh, cooperative security anymore. We should be more realistic about how we can cooperate with the Russia and China in real term. So the back to basics, like-mindedness, and sticking to the kind of core mission of alliance. Alliance is, is, is for what? Collective defense and extended deterrence. Japan is frontline to the, this kind of alliance extended deterrence, including Senkaku. And Senkaku is very close to Taiwan mainland. That means connectivity and also commitment for 
extended deterrence. That means Washington, D.C., New York must care about situations in the frontline nation like Japan and Okinawa and connectivity with Taiwan situation. What matter would be resilience. Let me repeat, resilience is the key word, not only for Ukraine, the resilience of Taiwan and Okinawa mainland and the infrastructure is very important. What that means, we are not talking about the Japan's commitment to defend that Taiwan. No, this is, this is not in view, but what matter would be the peace and stability of the Taiwan Straits and also sea-lines communication and political stability. That means uh, today is a very good time to share the same, same concerns and hope for the upgrading the, our level of support of resilience. That means we are on the same table and we have the same agenda and Japan will open the office. We, we do hope to do that, do that. Then we will have uh, the upgrade of our cooperation without sacrificing and any alliance commitment to uh, anybody. So that we are not provocative. We try to be very pragmatic. Thank you. Okay, thank you. And moving to Ichung and his perspective on this question. Yeah, I believe that uh, uh, NATO's uh, liaison office in Japan <coughs> uh, represents a real NATO commitment uh, about its asset as well as, as its attention uh, to issues in this region, especially from Taiwan's point of view. Uh, uh, that back up uh, what the, uh, uh, earlier the NATO Secretary General Stoltenberg, while he was in Japan, he talks about the Taiwan Strait security, uh, the importance of it to the NATO, uh, which actually is the first time for the NATO, uh, the Secretary General talks about this. So that the establishment about liaison office in Japan, uh, to us, that uh, symbol of, uh, signifies about the uh, NATO's uh, commitment and the commitment just not a political, but there are also resources management and into this, as well as the, the future uh, f uh, cooperation or coordination through Japan to uh, facilitate the uh, coordination between Japan and also other like-minded uh, democratic nations such as ROK, the, uh, the Australia, and uh, in some other countries, even with the Philippines, for example, and, and uh, Singapore. Uh, <coughs> so that uh, uh, we actually watch uh, this whole development, uh, first of all, in the sense of the uh, what it will mean to Taiwan, and the second, in the sense of uh, what the uh, uh, NATO itself uh, looking at the Indo-Pacific, and the third, of course, uh, that also gave the weight about what Japan might play uh, in the event of whether that's Taiwan or others. Uh, some people in Japan talks about how the uh, uh, if Taiwan is a Ukraine, then Japan probably will be Poland. And it seems that the NATO's office in Japan added up, uh, strengthened that impression <laughs> as well. Okay, perfect. And uh, yeah, so... Uh, from your country's uh, point of view, what is the most useful lesson learned concerning the Ukrainian path to NATO membership uh, for non-NATO allies? Uh, yeah, the, uh, the Ukraine lessons uh, draws a lot uh, for Taiwan, um, uh, whether that's on the battlefield or in the uh, diplomatic as well as the national security point of view. Uh, I think the first thing, uh, the, uh, when the, the Russia claimed that it's a, it's a, the, the NATO Eastern expansion caused Russia to attack uh, Ukraine, but uh, we do know that Ukraine is not even part of NATO. 
Yeah, and so that uh, first of all, we do know that Russia is using the NATO expansion as an excuse to uh, try to crash the Ukraine. But at the same time, that people also wonder that uh, should the Ukraine is really part of the NATO, uh, would Russia do the same thing? Or uh, is there any the uh, uh, security guarantee for the Ukraine that uh, Russia probably would not do th uh, those things? And our uh, conversation with the Ukraine people also, uh, from then they indicate to us that the uh, uh, strategic ambiguity is actually inviting the um, aggression uh, by the stronger side, in which Taiwan also faced. So I think the uh, uh, those are the uh, the the definite the direct lessons that uh, Taiwan is looking uh, into, uh, and specifically uh, that the similar strategic ambiguity also plays out in the Taiwan whether that the United States would like to defend Taiwan should China attack Taiwan or not. Uh, so that becomes a, a big concern. And uh, we also notice that uh, the ambiguity persists also uh, cast in a way about the uh, demoralizing effect in Taiwan. Because uh, we do see that the Chinese uh, a claim about Taiwan is no longer just about whether Taiwan will declare independence, uh, because in the past we haven't uh, said anything about it, but China uh, military aggression continued and unabated. Uh, basically, we do know that it's about the Chinese hostility total democracy. So that the, uh, the volume, uh, the democracy versus authoritarian, uh, how the authoritarian hostility toward democracy plays uh, a significant factor in, in the, the Chinese uh, aggression against Taiwan. And so that the, um, um, what we uh, found out here is that um, uh, when the uh, strategic ambiguity uh, play in a sense of uh, trying to reassure China uh, that uh, we are not going, going to give you the reason to attack Taiwan, but at the same time that uh, it started to give Taiwanese people the kind of doubt whether that our democracy will be defended by, uh, will be helped to be defended by our friends. Uh, and we are sustaining uh, the cost uh, sticking to democracy uh, due to the Chinese threat. And if the, um, the, the help is not going to come, uh, or we do not sh we're not sure about the help that is coming, then people's uh, belief and the stickness to the democracy will, uh, uh, will decline and over time. So it will also become a demoralizing effect about how the democ democracy in Taiwan is. And this is something that a lot of people that did not pay attention to, and it started to get crystallized uh, in, the Ukraine, uh, in, in the war in Ukraine. That uh, eventually you had to make a decision, but also the outside uh, world also need to make a decision, and we need to make a decision quick. And finally, I'll say that the, um, it, should the war on Taiwan really happens, uh, what the Ukraine right now is doing, uh, in addition to the earlier phase of the asymmetric uh, defense, and now with the counter-offensive, you know, trying to reclaim the land uh, in order to strike a better position to bargain peace uh, later on, that also has the tremendous impact about Taiwan's strategic thinkings. We cannot be... We cannot win the war by simply uh, denying Chinese uh, occupation of the Taiwan. We need to win. So the, the whole thinking is different. Uh, we need to win. Of course, people will ask you, define winning. Uh, but then that is another matter. We need to win. And uh, we just cannot stay not losing. And that is not going to um, uh, sustain for a long time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you for this valuable insight from you. And uh, we are moving again to Tom. 
Thank you. Uh, let me highlight the three R's, starting R, uh, the three words. Number one is uh, resistance. Morale of the people to resist any kind of changing of status quo is a key for success. And how to deny the theory of victory of adversity in case of Ukraine, Russia's theory of victory must be denied. And uh, we must enjoy the kind of theory of victory of our own. That means resistance and morale of the people is very important. Number two is resilience, reiterated in the morning session. That is the leadership commitment to defend its own territory is the key. Uh, please remember the case what happened in Afghanistan, Kabul, only single day they needed to uh, the, um, to capture the capital by the security forces. Then Taliban back in office. So resilience of leadership is very important, but not, not only limited to that, supply chain and supply chain and the economic sanction, sanction may continue. That means economic security system is very important. So providing the critical infrastructure and safety and the safety of dams or nuclear power plant, resilience is a keyword. The third is the reassurance. Reassurance for the future of the kids or the community, and also try to open up the dialogue for, in case of Taiwan, China. And we must reassure China that the peace is the best solution for everybody. War theory will be denied. The resilience of the people and the resilience and morale and the resistance by the people and the reassurance for the people at large, then peace will be the best answer. That must be the message we have to share in our Indo-Pacific region. Thank you. And uh, uh, to what extent can a closer cooperation between NATO and individual Indo-Pacific countries inspire the emergence of new collective uh, security institutions in the in the Pacific region, because of course we are also uh, discussing both uh, similarities and differences between the Euro-Atlantic region and uh, in the Pacific region. So uh, may I start with Ichung again? Yeah, I believe this question probably uh, President Shizaki will be in much better positions because NATO sadly is an office, so there's uh, something already going on between NATO and Japan. In Taiwan, uh, even for some NATO member states, uh, uh, it's not sh it's not sure whether Taiwan is a state or not. So that uh, uh, this is we we are in a little bit funny situation here. But I think uh, uh, if uh, we just look at the uh, from the Taiwan uh, straight security and stability in the point of view about how we expect from the NATO, uh, the inner defense of Taiwan should China really launch war on Taiwan. Um, I think the uh, Taiwan Defense Authority uh, did not expect that the NATO would send its military uh, here in these regions. Uh, and the, but the, we do uh, hope that the NATO member states, uh, they could provide the intelligence, the uh, ammunition, logistic help uh, to break out the, ISO, uh, the blockade by China on Taiwan uh, so that we can sustain our resistance. At the same time, that uh, the, uh, uh, we need to find out a way to... Um, to, 
to let Chinese know that uh, there will be costs uh, to them. The cost could be economic, but also could be our national prestige, such as their claim about that Taiwan is not a state. And at that time, that uh, should we consider that uh, since Chinese invasion, they break everything loose, that uh, the uh, recognition of Taiwan as a state or even the, um, uh, the diplomatic uh, relationship that should be considered as a part of the uh, 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 the issue that China will ha would have to suffer, um, and also at the same time to uh, legitimize about the assistance to Taiwan, so that uh, no longer about the ambiguity whether you can assist Taiwan or not, because Taiwan we do not know whether Taiwan is a state. Another thing about it is that um, uh, NATO could also uh, help Taiwan in a lot of other ways, such as the uh, assisting Taiwan to international organizations. Although those are the things that uh, probably to some many mem uh, NATO members states that uh, it is not uh, it is just a um, the political symbolic uh, meaning but um, you have to know that uh, the what China want to do is to eliminate Taiwan completely from the international existence so that our international presence especially increase of our international presence that uh, signifies a Chinese failure and will force China to rethink about its uh, tactic. Otherwise, um, by preventing Taiwan of uh, entering uh, the international organization or uh, in the international fora, and sometimes even uh, they uh, choose not to discuss about Taiwan. One of the biggest funny thing is that uh, just the Shangri-La dialogue this past weekend, uh, what we found out is that the, um, uh, everyone's talking about Taiwan issue, but then there's no single session devoted to Taiwan. And you do not find any Taiwan delegation, despite there are two people invited by IISS uh, coming from Taiwan. I'm uh, me as, as one of them. But um, uh, you see, everyone talks about Taiwan, but uh, you cannot have a institutionalized the, the discussion about Taiwan. So that is just one example. I'm not blaming anyone, but uh, this has been a norm uh, for, for a long time. And we need to break it. Um, so that the awareness and also the Chinese know about all kinds of costs that could suffer, um, that that is uh, they they are going to uh, have uh, should the, uh, the action on Taiwan, just like uh, Russia's uh, action on Ukraine. Uh, we need to let the Russian just not just about leadership, but also general public knows that, that there will be consequences, and so that the uh, uh, Russia's war potential and the actions uh, will have its limitations. Uh, and the same thing need to apply to China as well. Mm. Okay, I understand that Taiwan's uh, position is quite difficult, but still, thank you for for uh, giving such a detailed uh, uh, detailed answer to my question. And uh, we will now move with the same question to Tom. Okay, I'd like to follow up the mm -hmm. the NATO Taiwan and Japan cooperations, and uh, I was so amazed that the Conference of Commandants of NATO Defense College invite Taiwan National Defense uh, the University Commandants. And uh, I had the honor to have a talk with the, the Commandants a couple of times in separate situations. And uh, it, now I'm a university professor and uh, I had a kind of academic freedom to express my own uh, the opinion, and uh, I love the idea of having a direct and uh, regular ties and contact with the National Defense University because uh, we share the con common concern about the professional military educations. So these are very important academic, the common purposes for crisis management 
and uh, information sharing and not to have uh, mistakes or misinformations. That means as professional, we should have a regular contact to step up the, our level of expertise and share the common concerns without making a, any specific formal treaty-based commitment. That's the key. So professional media education shared by Taiwan counterpart uh, and also Japanese counterparts, thanks to the NATO Defense College Consortium and sharing a kind of concerns. And that this will be the very powerful tool for strategic communication. Okay, other neighboring country may be happy to see that the development. Uh, I'm afraid no. Uh, they may have very different understanding, but uh, we have uh, st stepped forward and shared some concerns. Then, uh, let me put it this way. The most powerful tool for Tokyo right now is that so-called mini-lateralism. That is Japan-Australia, or Japan or UK, or Japan-NATO, having a responsible access agreement or two plus two or well, trilateral or the quadrilateral, like a quad, and without making treaty-based commitment. That is, we can be very functional and we can be a very uh, open-minded and we have a very pragmatic outcome and we have a regular contact, just like AP4 with NATO. And uh, this, these are for cooperative purposes, not intentionally provocative in anyone, no. So this is the strength of the idea of cooperative security and try to step up without having a provocation and no specific, uh, no um, the declared intention for offensive purposes. And if other countries are willing to join, okay, we should have an open door. And the, the same applies to the Ukraine, the level of cooperation, the sincere attitudes to help support. If they are willing to do that, well, it, I'm sure it will take time, but we should wait. So open door policy must be maintained, and we must listen, and we must reassure. But up, up until then, we must be determined to move ahead with the uh, cooperate with like-minded partners. Thank you. And now we can move to the final question. Uh, what is the likelihood that Quad will be upgraded from a dialogue to a collective uh, security institution close to some sort of uh, Asian NATO? Um, I think there's a long way to go. Mm -hmm. uh, the uh, Quad itself, uh, the, uh, uh, due to the differences, uh, uh, for, in, for example, like India, who consider quads as three plus one, because the three, uh, US, Japan, Australia, they are allies, uh, and uh, India is not. Uh, so that India has always the uh, resisting the uh, the the so in their view about over militarization of the quad, so they prefer to have a quad uh, more acting functional uh, in different uh, sectors uh, added uh, freely uh, with the different actors in it.
it so that uh, like a public health, they will have uh, like ROK and uh, the uh, uh, New Zealand and uh, even Israel uh, and some other area probably with some others. This is what the, uh, the Quad, uh, at least uh, in some member states, they uh, consider they want it to be. And also there are other concerns within the, peop- uh, the, uh, the member like Japan and Australia about uh, the expanding too much, how would that will cause the Quad itself? So that I think the, uh, although Taiwan is not a member of the Quad, and also we always express that we're willing to work with Quad, but we respect what the, uh, the Quad, especially its member states, uh, would like to uh, uh, the future of, of the Quad. And uh, if the, the current trajectory uh, present to us, it seems that um, the Quad is not going to evolve into the so-called Asian NATOs. Uh, the Quad will uh, behave more as a, a flexible, functional uh, arrangement uh, with different countries, uh, trying to draw different talents and uh, expertise uh, to facilitate the different o- on cooperations. Uh, and um, probably the the military part, uh, they will set aside, uh, for example, let the Akus and then probably later on Jakus uh, and others uh, to, to play that part. So this is my understanding, yeah. Thank you very much. And Tom? Okay, thank you. Well, the Quad will be a Asian NATO or not? That was the question raised by Chinese uh, Minister of Foreign Affairs spokesperson. And uh, they are against the Asian NATO. And uh, well, the thing is, we have no illusion whatsoever about the Asian NATO at all. We have no illusion about that. So what is clear is that we go very pragmatic. And uh, we have a regular summit meeting with the Quad. It is a very political messages. And uh, some member may, uh, some other regional neighboring country may not be happy to see that one. But uh, if you think that way, okay, why not? We have, we should have a sincere dialogue. You don't have to worry because Quad is open, like uh, the, 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 he, uh, the Inchon clearly stated, the Quad is open and uh, not aiming at anyone. So in that is the core quad is minilateralism and also very simple of security corporations. So in that sense, the quad should be the core or kind of the symbol of the security corporations and try to open up it. In the Pacific must be op- free and open. And if you share that idea, okay, why not join the quad plus one, quad plus one and two and some others. And the idea is that uh, shared values and principle. That, that must be the foundation of our dialogue and partnership. No, we do about that. Thank you. So by that, uh, you have answered all my questions. But before we say goodbye to our uh, listeners, I would like to give you room if you want to, to uh, express some of your final thoughts or remarks so that it's not just me asking questions but so that you also have uh, some floor to uh, express your ideas uh, it's uh, up to you now why don't professor yoshizaki okay. first start first yeah okay agenda setting is the source of power thank you very much <laughs> <laughs> this kind of strategic communication is a very powerful tool for open society like Taiwan and also Japan and Czech Republic. So in that sense, this kind of, okay, virtual tabletop 
be exercises or dialogue and try to have a sincere understanding and having a better understanding of what's happening beyond the horizons. For us, Ukraine, the crisis is beyond the horizons, but uh, we are trying to um, be more susceptible and all try, try to be a part and in line with the debate because we share the same concerns. Extended deterrence may be failing, and deterrence failure may be the reality. What is the next step? Okay, we should have the very sincere partner. So in that sense, today's this program gave me a, a lot of a lot of the reassurance. Thank you very much. Thank you too, Tom. And. Uh now moving to Ichung, uh, final words from Taiwan's perspective. Yeah, thank you. I think uh, you just shared the same uh, uh, opinion as the Professor Shizaki just uh, stated earlier. And also I believe that the, uh, the, the Taiwan is also watching very uh, closely about the development in the war in Ukraine. Uh, and our belief is that uh, we do not think that, the, uh, as some people in the United States suggest, that uh, the more resources and the develop uh, and the help for the Ukraine will have uh, less resources and assets uh, on the issue of the uh, deterring China from uh, attacking against Taiwan. Uh, we believe that the uh, the war in Ukraine will have a tremendous deterrence value vis-a-vis uh, -vis China, uh, and we hoped uh, and uh, will do whatever we can to assist that Ukraine to have a full victories. Uh, only the full victory uh, that uh, can actually teach the Chinese lesson that you should not easily launch the war uh, trying to achieve your political gain and that you should talk to your uh, opponents uh, no matter uh, how you or who you disliked. But uh, the dialogue is very important. And Taiwan continues today and open ourselves uh, to the dialogue with China on, on all issues. And fortunately, that China refused to dialogue with us. So finally, the uh, uh, Taiwan is in all in in support of Ukraine for the victories. And we because we believe that, uh, that uh, the victory of Ukraine uh, could be one of the best uh, deterrents um, against Chinese act uh, attacking Taiwan. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Ichun. And with that, our discussion has come to an end. Uh, thank you both, Dr. Ichung Lai and Professor Yoshizaki, uh, for being here with us and for sharing your perspective on today's topic. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, I would also like to thank our listeners for staying with us uh, until the end. And I wish you all a pleasant rest of the day. <laughs>